If you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. When I stood before you in August and uh, shared in what we call the call weekend, I shared with you my five core beliefs, and I also shared with you that my I would try to lead us to make them our five beliefs. So if we're going to do that, we need to kind of rehash them. So let, let me show you on the screen what, what they are. The first one is, the Bible is my guidebook. God loves me and has a plan for me. All people matter to God. I seek to honor God in all I do, and the local church is the hope of the world. And my goal is to, did you see the uh, uh, personal pronouns change? To where it's us. An hour. The Bible is our guidebook. God loves us and has a plan for us. And so what I want to do for the next five weeks on Sunday morning is I want to walk through these things. So today we're going to begin. Go ahead one, one forward there. We're going to go to the Bible is our guidebook. If you, excuse me just a second. This is going to hurt me if I don't. If you and I are going to have a core belief, individually or collectively, we need to know what the biblical basis is. And so here's what I want to say to you. You may think, well, Brother Jerry, that is my guidebook. And I'm going to admit, everybody in this room has a guidebook that you live your life by. Every one of you. Now, sadly to say, there are some people whose guidebook is Facebook. Every time Facebook, and it's okay to laugh because I, I know that. Some people, some people just live their lives on Facebook and whatever Facebook says, they do it. Uh, some people have, don't really have a book. It, they just watch what the internet says, the popular opinion says. Some of us, our guidebook is tradition. I don't have this in my notes, but I was thinking about it this morning as I was praying through this message. And many of you probably heard it. The young girl is fixing a ham. And, the, and she was teaching her daughter how to fix the ham. And the first thing she said was, baby, you cut off this end and you cut off this end. And her daughter said, why do you cut off that end? She said, I don't know. My mom did it. Well, call your mom and find out. So she called her mom and she, Mom, I'm teaching Susie how to cook this ham and I cut off each end before I put it in. Can you tell me why? And she said, Baby, it's what my mama did. It's what grandma did. And so grandma's now really aged, picked up the phone and called grandma and said, Grandma, why? I'm teaching Susie how to cook a ham. Why did you cut off both ends before you cooked it? She said, that's very simple. That was the size skillet I had to cook it in. (laughs) Sometimes the most innate things stay with us and they become tradition. Some of us, our guidebook is what our mom and dad taught us. I just want to tell you something. There's not a person in this room who loves their mom and dad more than this old boy. Mom and dad are both in heaven now. Lost. We said goodbye to mom in 10 and daddy in 20. I love my mom and dad, but you need to hear me. They didn't get it all right. 
They didn't get it all right. But what I want to say to you this morning, they get, he gets it all right right here. This should be our guidebook. Now, some people are standing back there going, I came to hear the gospel. Why is Brother Jerry wasting our time with all of this? And here's what I want to tell you. We're going to get to the gospel. Because if you're in the Bible, if you're in the guidebook, there is gospel. But I'm going to tell you why I'm taking time. It's because, listen church, listen family, we do what we believe. The rest is a bunch of talk. Second reason I'd say to you that I'm doing this is because we as a church need to know and recognize and embrace what we truly believe. If somebody asks you on the street, what do y'all believe down there? Well, we believe the Bible. Well, why do you believe the Bible? We believe it's God's holy word. Can you prove it? Not really. It's just what the preachers have always told us. So maybe today this will help us answer some of those questions. And finally, I would say to us that the reason that I am spending time with the Bible this morning, the Bible being our guidebook, is that the Bible becomes a plumb line for how we're doing things. Now, you guys know what a plumb line is. Brent, you've run a plumb line a time or two, haven't you, in your life? Don't raise your hand like you did Wednesday night. Just nod your head, okay? The plumb line... Plumb line tells us how we are doing. It's not finances, although finances have to be in order. It's not schedule or programs, although, although those have to be in order. It is how we're doing according to God's holy word. Now today, what I want to do, and I'll just tell you, I'm going to give you my confession that I heard that, is that I'm going to give you my confession that I love the pastoral epistles in the Bible. If you don't know what the pastoral epistles are, they are First and Second Timothy and Titus. It's the last three letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote them to two of his preacher boys, and he wrote them in this order. He wrote Timothy, the first letter. Then he wrote Titus, the second letter. And the last words we hear from Paul are the second Timothy. And today we're in Second Timothy, chapter 3. If you can and you will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word as we read verses 14 through 17. I am reading the Christian Standard Version. Don't run out and buy the Christian Standard Version because I don't think I'll be preaching on that long. I just have been using it for my study and preaching for the last couple of weeks. Here's what he says. King James says, but you, but he says, but this translation says, but as for you, and I put that as for you, Timothy, as for you, church, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. You know that those who taught you, and you, excuse me, you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred or holy scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus, all Scripture is inspired by God. I'm going to say that again. All Scripture is inspired by God. And I'm going to pause and let you say amen if you believe that. All Scripture is inspired by God and is is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, 
I pray for the moments that remain. I pray that you will invade this building with your presence. I pray that you will open our ears, open our hearts to the words that you have for us. I pray when you open our hearts that you'll pour in your spirit, that we can take on the characteristics of you as you give us through your Holy Spirit. If there's one here that doesn't know you in a personal way, may today be the day that they come to know you. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Speak that our souls can hear. In Jesus' name, amen. The last statement that I read is worth repeating, where it says, So that the man, woman, boy, or girl of God can be complete, can be full, totally equipped for every good work. Did you hear that? Good work. And it's not good like you and I get to define. We, you and I don't get to define a lot of stuff because God defines it in the Bible. But this is good work according to God. And, and I'm going to tell you, good is often lost on us. Lucy just saying, if we ever need you, we need you now. And the truth is, we, have, we are living in the last verse of the book of Judges. Don't be surprised if I preach on that for, before long. The last verse of the book of Judges says this, And in those days, there was no king in all of Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own minds. I declare to you in the United States of America that we're living right there today. I love to tell stories, particularly when they have a point. So we talk, you can roll that forward, Evan, particularly as we're talking about the Bible is our guidebook. Most of us in this room know the name Billy Graham. Okay, I've already put you to sleep. This means yes, this means nope, okay. Um, most of us know the name Billy Graham because... Uh, some of you like me, I, I traveled down to Tiger Stadium back in the late 60s to hear Dr. Graham preach. heard him a couple of times, in fact. You may or may not know the name Charles Templeton. When Dr. Graham began his evangelistic career in the 40s, you had Billy Graham and you had Charles Templeton. In fact, in those early days... These two great preachers, dynamic preachers, of those two preachers, most close friends thought that Charles Templeton was going to change the course of humanity through preaching the Word of God. Honestly, both men came to a crisis of belief. Were they going to believe or were they not? Sadly, Charles Templeton chose to trust in himself and the things of the world and the things that he thought science said, he ultimately became an atheist. While we know the history of Billy Graham, that he trusted and he preached the Bible. He trusted the God of the Bible. 
Charles Templeton wrote a book in the 90s entitled Farewell to God. And in that book, he was kind of talking about his and Billy Graham's relationship. And he talked about one of the conversations they had as they came through their crisis of belief. And Billy Graham told his friend, he said, I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all sides of this theological dispute. So I've decided once and for all to stop questioning and accept God's word. Charles Templeton died at 86 in 2001. Please listen. Today he knows the truth. Do we? Brothers and sisters, some of us may not like some of the things that the Scripture says. Maybe I don't like some of the things the Scripture says. Maybe you don't like what it says about relationships or marriage or sexuality or immorality. Maybe I don't like that Jesus had to die on the cross for my sin. But I don't get to change my part any more than you don't get to change your part. These are things that we don't get any say in. So why is the Bible my guidebook? I'm going to give you four reasons today. They'll be on the screen if you want to write them down. The first reason is it's inspired by God. It's inspired by God. Verse 16 says, and I had you amen it, all Scripture, not some Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. The word, the word all means everything. It means something. In fact, if you want to know how much of the Bible I believe, I believe from the title page to the maps. I believe God's in control. And, and when you think about this inspired Word of God, it literally means that God breathed it. It means that it came out of His breath. Please listen. God put it in the hearts of His writers. Over over 40 writers in three languages, over 1,500 years to write a story that led to one person, Jesus Christ. How in the world could mankind, 40 writers, 1,500 years, three languages, write in that kind of harmonious fashion except God Himself do it? Consider something. In the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? 300 prophecies. Have you ever thought about the odds of 300 prophecies over those hundreds and thousands of years that, they, that one person would fulfill all of those prophecies? Have you ever thought about the odds? Now, I don't know if this is true, but I'll tell you, I heard John Haggai say this one time. He said, you want to know what the odds are? Here it is. If you take a silver dollar and you put a black mark on it so you can see it, and then you take enough silver dollars to spread across Texas three inches deep. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Texas. Pud told me before he met and married Lucy, he hadn't been a mile from here, so I'm sure he hadn't been there until he went on a mission trip. People go into Texas and are never heard from again. It is a big place. Three inches deep. 
And he said, John said, you walk out into those sea of silver dollars and you pick up that marked silver dollar first try. That's the odds of those 300 prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I will tell you that the odds are not in your favor. Except God breathed it. King David felt the inspiration of God when he wrote this. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His words was on my tongue. You know what I think of when I think of God breathing? This In Genesis, God scooped down and got a handful of dirt. And he squashed it up a little bit. And he blew into it the breath of life. And the scripture says, and man became a living soul. I can see just that's exactly what God did to his word. Breathed into it the breath of life. That's why Hebrews says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Penetrating. You see, the Word of God doesn't just speak for people back then. The Word of God speaks for us today because it's inspired by God. The second thing I would say to you is that the Bible gives information about God. I know this is only my fourth Sunday with you. I know I've already said this, but I, you know, repetition is the mother of learning. Most people have a very skewed view of God today. I mean... I mean, the truth is, they think, I've said this before, in this pulpit, most people out there think God is a cross between the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and a dear old granddaddy who had never raised his hand to anybody. Just a guy that's modeling around. You see, we kind of formulated and, and, and uh, uh, developed our concept of God based on... Listen to the statement that Voltaire said many years ago. He said, God created man in his image, and then man returned the favor. That means he created God in his own image. You see, God is not like man. When I read verse 14, it speaks of those. My text says sacred scripture. Your text says holy scripture which means it's divine, which means it's mighty, which means it's wonderful, which I would just tell you, that means it's trustworthy. You can trust the Word of God. The Bible teaches us stories that clear up any misconception about God. Do you know what the Bible... I heard somebody say this one time, and it stuck with me. In Genesis, He's the Creator. In Exodus, He's the Deliverer. In Leviticus, He's the High Priest. In Numbers, he's the guide. In Deuteronomy, he's the lawgiver. In Joshua, he is the conqueror. In Judges, he is the judge. In Ruth, he's the kindred redeemer. In Samuel, he's the true prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's the king. In Ezra, he is the scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder. In Esther, he is the Mordecai. 
in Job. He is the one who redeems lives in Psalms. He's the great shepherd in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He's wisdom in the Psalms of Solomon. He is the bridegroom in Isaiah. He's the suffering servant in Jeremiah. He and Lamentations. He is the wise prophet in Ezekiel. He is the four-faced man in Daniel. He's the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he is love in, in Joel. He's the Holy Spirit. Filling the world in Amos, he's the armor bearer in Obadiah, he's the savior in Jonah, he's the missionary in, in Micah, he is the messenger in Nahum, he's the avenger in Habakkuk, he's the watchman in Haggai, he's the restorer in Zechariah, he's the fountain of life and in Malachi, he is the song of righteousness. In Matthew, he is the son of the living God. And in Mark, he's the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the door. In Acts, he is the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he's the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he's the sin bearer. In Galatians, he is grace. In Ephesians, he is riches. In Philippians, he's the supplier. In Colossians, he's the Godhead. In Thessalonians, he is the soon returning king in Timothy he's the mediator and in Titus he is the blessed hope in Philemon he is a friend in Hebrews he's the covenant in James he's the healer in Peter he's the chief shepherd in John he's tender love in Jude he is the king the Lord coming with ten thousand and in Revelation he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you want to know something about God, go to His Word because He will tell you everything you need to know. You read His Word and you'll find out everything you need to know. Some things you want to know and some things you may not want to know. So here's a huge, huge question. If there's so much in this book about God, why is so little known about Him? Why does God get blamed for things that He has nothing to do with? Why does He get credit for things that He would not do or even condone? Just because we don't understand some things, we don't understand His works. I've discovered that the works of God as outlined in His Scripture are generally opposite of the works of mankind. I find out to li- I find here to live as kingdom principles, live by His kingdom principles instead of earthly principles. Listen, men, it's opposite. Here we're told that we're supposed to be on the top of the chain and. Jesus said, if you want to be be last. Here we're told to build ourselves up. The Word says, think more highly of others than yourself. When you think about who we reach for the church, who we reach for the gospel, sadly, in in this culture of America where we have been so blessed for so long, we tend to want to go to the well off. And Jesus never went to the well off. He went to the down and out. He calls the unfaithful to be faithful. He calls the uncommitted to be committed. He calls the unsaved to be saved. He calls the poor to be rich in glory. He calls the unknown. What does He do? He calls us to salvation. He calls us to sacrifice. 
And He calls us to service. To salvation. To sacrifice. That means be sanctified. And to service. And brothers and sisters, I have known this for all the years I've been gone. There are no better people than people right here on the creek. We have a building of good people. But please listen. Jesus didn't die to make you a boy or a good old girl. He died to cleanse you of your sin and to make you right with the Father in heaven. To give you a new life, give you a new hope. That is the work of God. That's what the book teaches us. Works. teaches about works. It teaches about His will. Listen, His will, His will, I want to say it one more time, His will is not that none should perish. And yet Jesus taught us that more would die, more would make hell than heaven. Have you ever thought about that? That's because He has called us to share His truth. He has called us to live by the kingdom agenda. He has called us to be His mouthpiece. And oh, by the way, there is no place. It's either us or nobody. His works, His will. How about His ways? Now, His ways are a little more persnickety. You don't discover the ways of God by just reading the Bible. You discover the ways of God by spending time with Him. Pud and I been talking about this. Spending time with Him. Let me just give you, let me give you a, this is a sorry illustration, but it's the best I got, so you just got to deal with it, okay? My wife and I have been married 45 years. Do not be surprised if you come and say to me, do you know what Miss Deborah said? By the way, I need to stop there and tell you that she is deaf in one ear. And you go, you're embarrassing your wife. No. I'm saving a lot of hassle because we've gone to churches where ladies, no offense ladies, but it was ladies, walked up to her and started talking to her from her death side. And when she didn't respond, the preacher's wife is, a, is snotty. She just, but I'm telling you, if you walk up beside her and you speak to her and she doesn't respond, you may have walked right side, right here. You just reach up and touch her. She's not, uh, the only person she really ignores is me. So y'all are in good shape, Okay. But I want to tell you this. If you walk up and you tell me, Miss Deborah said this, do not be surprised if I go, well, I don't think she said that. Well, I heard her. Well, you may have heard her wrong. You know why I would say that? Because I've lived with this woman 45 years, and that's not part of her ways. You know how, you're, you know how your spouse, if you've been married any time at all, you know their ways, and the way you know their ways is you live with them. Of course, today, most of us understand that statement in the marriage ceremony for better or worse. But that's another subject for another time. But you live with them and you understand their ways. The only way you get to understand the ways of God is you spend time with Him. You see, there's information about God in the Bible that lets us learn about His works, His will, and His way. The third thing that's here, third reason that the Bible is my guidebook, and I want it to be our guidebook, is because it's, it contains instructions from God. So now, you need to understand, 
The Bible is a lot more than an instruction book. Boy, does it have instructions. Look at what it says here. It says all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. (laughs) That's good. For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. I mean... Here's what, here's what I'm going to say to you. I've already said already. We don't get to say what things are. We don't get to say what sin is, for instance. I could stand here the rest of the day talking about the instructions from the Bible, but there are some things today. I'm, I'm kind of going goofy here in my old days. There are some things today in our lifetime that used to be sin. And today is so watered down that it's by, my, by mankind, by our culture, we don't think it's sin. But here's what I, you need to get into our, we need to get into our psychic. There is a time coming when you and I and this country, this population, will stand before God. And we don't get a say as to what's sin. I don't like that, Brother Jerry. Don't shoot the messenger. You see, we can go, we can go to the scripture and we can see, if you want the, the text, you can go read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 and following, Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 and following, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 and following, Revelation 22 verses 12 through 16, if you want to see the list of sin and see how many are on that list that we don't even think are bad anymore. Now I could talk about I could talk about uh, sexual immorality. I could talk about all that. But why don't I talk about something we love to do? Gossip. Hello? Do you rise in the same list that immorality is listed? Gossip's listed? Well, that was a good place for an amen. <laughs> or an oh me. You see, the truth is, the truth is our Lord... Is going to, when we stand before say this, he's going to say, what did you do with what I told you? I left you everything you needed. When we stand before him, excuses are not going to get it because he's God. He's given us his word. He's given us his son. We either obey or we disobey. The Bible gives us instructions for things like love and relationships and sexuality and attitude and talking and commitment and so much more. It tells us how to talk and walk and how to make decisions. Here's your good scripture to help you. Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. I'm going to pause there. Boy, we love to delight ourselves in things. I found out my assistant pastor's weakness. My assistant pastor, pastor loves Mexican food. Beyond Mexican food, he loves bean dip. And if you get to that, his Mexican place, and you sit there with him, if you'll watch him, he'll take that bean dip bowl and he'll pull it right over by him and he'll eat every bit of it. I'm just teasing Evan. But the point is made that we delight ourselves in some things. The Bible says if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. You know why that is? That doesn't mean if you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to get that 
Cadillac or that Navigator or that Porsche or it's not that it's not the, because when we delight ourselves in the Lord, the things that are in our heart are things that will last forever, not things that are going at death. There are instructions there. The Bible tells us also, you want instructions? And I'm almost done. Hang on. The Bible tells us how to be saved. In Acts chapter 2, the crowd asks, What must I do? In Acts 8, the eunuch asks, What must I do? In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer asks, What must I do? In other words, how can I be saved and escape the coming wrath of God? And the Bible gives us an answer. With our last, with our last thought. The Bible is our guidebook because it offers us an invitation to God. Now you need to hear this. It's only an invitation. The only person that I really know that he slapped off a horse and saved was Saul of Tarsus. Most of the time he comes and he pricks your heart. You know that if you don't receive him, that you're on the outside, that you'll not make heaven, that you'll miss heaven. And you know what else awaits. So when he, when he offers you salvation, please listen. It is more than praying a prayer and inviting Jesus into your heart. Oh, Brother Jerry, that's what I've been taught all my life. Honestly, I've never seen it in the book where it says invite Jesus into your heart. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It says, with the heart you believe. It seems to me that when, when we receive Jesus, when we trust Jesus, when we repent of our, our sin, invite Jesus into our life, he comes into our heart. But here's the invitation that Jesus gives. It's the same for everybody. Listen. Follow me, and I will make you to become. Follow me. And I will make you to become. You can walk this aisle, take me by the hand, pray 16 prayers. We can take you up there and baptize you every week for the next two years. And if you're not following Jesus, you're not saved. Jesus said, follow me. To the fishermen, he said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. They understood that. I ask you, what are you what are you becoming today? Who are you following today? Jesus followed that by saying, If anyone would come after me, remember, follow me. If anyone would follow me, come after me. He must deny himself. He must take up his cross. He must follow me. You see, the truth is, Jesus is calling us. The invitation is singular. It requires all of you, just like all of the Scripture. I, I want to clear this up. You cannot give Jesus just what you want Him to have. It's all or nothing. It's all in or all out. Are you all in? Are you all out? You want the gospel? There's the gospel. For those who choose to believe that the Bible is our guidebook. 
There is, there is a change that goes on in your life that you cannot understand. That I cannot understand. It's just that Jesus gave it to us. If I were to ask this, as I close, if I were to ask this crew, how many folks believe the Bible is really your guidebook? Hands would go up all over this place because that's who we are. I believe we love the Bible. I believe there are many people that love the Lord and believe the Bible is true. But please hear me. The invitation to God is not an offer to hang out with God once a week. Rather, it is a lifelong, ongoing, eternal relationship which controls our thoughts, our minds, our actions, our activities, our relationship, and our lives. If indeed the Bible is our guidebook, we must respond to every word we read. The Bible today, God's Word today, is this. Jesus is calling. Is He calling you? Have you played church long enough? Have you wondered why everything kind of upends you? Have you wondered why you're so angry all the time? I'll just tell you, if you've you've replaced God with church, you're going to be angry all the time because, listen, the church is made up of people. And we are flawed. We have wrinkles and warts. And we'll make you mad. But if you have heard the call of Jesus and responded to Jesus... It is that internal joy that we talked about last week. Jesus is calling. The Holy Spirit is wooing. 